from Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 13. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been now has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Please pray with me as we ask the Lord to prepare us for the receiving of his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing your plan to save the world through Christ and save people from all nations, no matter their ethnicities, that they could simply find a connection with you and connection with one another through faith in Christ. Lord, I thank you for this text from Paul which shows us that you've given each one of us as Christians a stewardship of your grace, certain spiritual gifts and specific missions in our church, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods that you want us to pursue and give our lives to as it fits into the overall mission of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that every word I say would be from you and for you, that you would be highlighted today, that you would be front and center, Lord Jesus. And I ask for your help and grace as I try to convey uh, your intentions in this passage. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Today's message serves as the fifth installment in our verse-by-verse sermon series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, The theme of the entire book is called A Manifesto for the Church. And if you want to find out what the purpose of the church, what the point of the church is, what God's intentions for the local church and universal church is, Ephesians is the place that you need to go to learn more about that, and that's why we are diving in. In terms of our passage today from chapter 3 of Ephesians, the sermon title is this, uh, Displaying God's Plan for Humanity Through the Church. Displaying God's Plan 
for humanity through the church. And I want to explain this, or at least begin to explain this, by talking initially about hospitals. Now let me talk about hospitals for a second. What would we do without our beloved hospitals? Now, it, hospitals can be weird because none of us probably likes going to the hospital. Some of us in this room actually work in the hospitals. I don't know whether you love hospitals or not if you work there, but it's a hard job. But we don't like to go to the hospital unless we have to, unless you need a hospital. Perhaps you, you like hospitals because you need cancer treatment. You, you appreciate hospitals because you, your appendix is about to explode and you need emergency surgery. Maybe that's happened to you. It happened to my brother. They took it out. It hit the garbage can. It exploded upon impact. It was really disgusting from what I understand. Maybe you're an excruciating, maybe you're having a baby. And you need to, it's, it's unexpected, you know, you're going to have it at home, but it came early. You love hospitals in that moment of wanting to deliver your baby in a healthy environment. And again, these are the moments in our lives that we love hospitals. Now, why do we like to go to the hospitals when we need to? It's because at the hospital, what do you generally hopefully receive? Good, helpful treatment for what ails you. You receive rescue, really for whatever is bothering your body in those moments, physically or mentally. At the hospital, doctors, they diagnose, they try to figure out what's going wrong with you. They try to treat you. At the hospital are nurses and employees and, and people who run the x-ray machines and, and the other scans. They, these employees and these nurses, they, they tend to comfort you and they feed you and they, they give you what you need. In other words, hospitals are rather essential to our overall physical and mental well-being when we need them. The question is, though, how do you find a hospital? How do you find out where the hospitals are so that you can get the help that you need? What do you generally look for? Well, if you're driving around, you look for a giant H, a road sign, that then shows you with an arrow, hopefully, going in the, hopefully in the right direction, showing you how to get to Surrey Memorial or Langley Memorial hospitals, whichever hospital. Maybe you also Google it, Google Maps, like Google, closest hospital to where I am. That's what you would type in or say via voice, and it will show you how to get there. Or if you're new to a city or a region, you talk to your neighbors. You say, hey, where's the, what's the nearest hospital? Uh, you know, that's important information to gain if you're new to an area. You see, here's the thing. Those who work at the hospital, those who are in charge of the hospital, they are responsible to let everyone know where to find the hospital so that people can get the help that they need. And so it's a hospital leadership's job to, to ensure there's signage, to ensure that you, know, the, it's, uh, you can find it on, online through word of mouth. It's, it's their job to let the world know where the hospital is so that people can find and get the help they need. Now imagine this, though. Imagine the other side of this is, imagine there being a secret hospital. No one knows where to find the hospital. <laughs> and the leadership of the hospital and the people in the hospital, the employees, they try not to tell anyone where they are. I mean, that's, that's insane. That's insane. That's cruel. That's a cruel idea. Would you agree? Well, just like a secret hospital is a cruel idea, so also is a secret church a very cruel idea. Because here's why, a secret church that no one knows about, that no one is aware of, that no one knows how to find, it's cruel because God designed a local church like ours to be the opposite of secret. 
He designed a church to be a community, a family of people who actually radiate, who demonstrate, and who tell the world through word and action God's plan, his rescue plan for the world, his, his plan of spiritual healing uh, through Jesus for all nations. You know, I like the analogy that a local church is a lot like a hospital, a spiritual hospital. We are here to diagnose what is ailing people spiritually. Very often it is sin, it is addiction, and it is pulling them and separating them from the purposes and relationship with God. And we are here to say, hey, here's Jesus, here's the connection. You've got to make that connection with God through faith in Jesus. And Jesus is not just someone you can be saved by for a new and different future, but he is the one who can transform you in the here and now, as we live our lives on earth. The fact is, when you look at God's plan for the world, his rescue plan, it is breathtaking. And at the center of this plan, this rescue plan for the world, is Jesus and a local church, or kind of like a crucible. We're kind of like, you know, a place, a test place, where people see the love and the grace and the goodness of God and it's a wonderful sort of thing that people are to see. They see the work of God in us. All right, let's move now to getting into our passage, verses 1 to 6 initially of chapter 3. You might have that in front of you. I would suggest having it in front of you so that you, know, you can sort of test what I'm saying and making sure it's actually from the Bible or not. Uh, verses 1 through 6, what do they say initially? These, this book, by the way, was written by Paul the Apostle. He wrote these words, inspired by God the Holy Spirit. And in verse 1, Paul reminds us that he is a prisoner for Jesus. He is a prisoner for Jesus. Why would he say that? It is because Paul, in the moment of writing Ephesians, uh, he is under house arrest. He has been arrested for doing what he does, which is preaching the gospel about Christ. And what Paul did was preach the gospel to the Roman Empire and primarily to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, okay? We talked a lot about that last Sunday. And we forget, and I forget that, you know, being a Christian in first century Roman Empire, that was a very dangerous thing for you to be. To be a Christian was a dangerous thing. Imagine that. Like, it could put your life in serious danger, okay? And it was because Christians were seen to be bad for business, because very much in the Roman Empire, business and the economy was tied to the, the worship of the gods, and doing business with other people who, who shared your belief in the Roman gods. And it was just bad for, these Christians were bad for business because Christians would not participate in the temple activities and all the stuff that was going on there. And they, they just wouldn't. They, had to, they just couldn't. And so they were seen as being bad for business. That's why Christians were not looked favorably upon. Also, Christians were ironically accused of being atheists. Did you know that? Christians were atheists and seen as atheists. That's where the term atheist came from. It's because the Christians would only worship one god. They refused to worship the myriad of all the other Roman gods and so-called entities that were out there. So they were Christians were seen as so narrow. They don't worship all the gods. They're atheists. That's what they were accused of. Further, Christians also refused to worship Caesar. That was a thing to do as a Roman citizen. You always worshipped Caesar. They would put Caesar, which was essentially the king of the Roman Empire, and make him deity. And then he would enjoy you know, utmost loyalty and devotion. And for you as a Christian to not... Imagine worshiping Justin Trudeau. It's just a bad idea. You know, we don't want to worship human leaders of any sort, any party. Okay? It's just a bad idea. Christians understood that. Christians were forbidden from worshiping Caesar. 
And so Christians, therefore, were seen as traitors against Rome. It was a dangerous thing to be a Christian in that day and age. So here's Paul, fearlessly, boldly, courageously, preaching the gospel, gathering these new Christians who are responding to the gospel into new church communities all across the Roman Empire, and he is doing it strategically in some of the most influential cities in the Roman Empire, which is exactly why Paul finds himself under house arrest, because they're trying to shut Paul up, stop making disciples, stop preaching the gospel, and that is why he is under house arrest writing this letter to Ephesians that we're looking at today. Paul was a hard guy to nail down. It was almost like God said, you know what, He's got a, I need him to write 13 books of the New Testament, so the only way I'm going to nail him down and get him in one spot so he can't go anywhere is being under house arrest. It's amazing the design of God's plan that we don't understand in the moment sometimes. Here's what Paul was driving at in verses 1 to 6. He was saying to, to the Ephesian churches at that time and to us today, he is saying that his Jesus-given life mission what he calls the, quote, stewardship of God's grace. Just rolls off the tongue. It sounds, what does that mean? But the stewardship of God's grace, for you to be a steward, is for you to be a manager of something. Some of you are managers in your workplace. Kind of the similar, similar idea. You are responsible to, to oversee a group of people. Well, you are also, to be a steward is to be responsible for something. So this stewardship, this managership of God's grace that's been given to him from Jesus and in addition to that, Jesus has given Paul a very specific mission to do. Well, his mission was to, to suffer. Jesus, the mission that Jesus gave Paul was to suffer by sharing the gospel with Gentiles across the Roman Empire. Imagine getting that as your mission. But that was his mission directly given to him by Jesus on the Damascus Road, okay? And that was his job. His job was not, he was a Jew, but his job was to share the gospel with the countless other non-Jews that were in the world at that time, okay? The Gentiles are, the idea of the Gentiles being part of God's family, that Jesus was for the Gentiles as well, that with the Jews and the Gentiles together, they make up the family of God, they can become God's kids, it's not exclusive to just the, the spiritual elites like the Jews, no, it's open to all. Anyone can get in on this. That was Paul's message. And so now we find unity, Jew and non-Jew, together, all nations of the world, any who will respond to Jesus, coming together in Christ. Christ is the grand unifier. Uh, Christ brings us together with God and with each other. It's a wonderful sort of thing, and this lasts for eternity. Now, I spent last Sunday, like I mentioned, talking at length about this coming together of Jews and Gentiles into the family of God through faith in Christ. So I'm not going to talk much more about that. What I want to drill down on and focus on, or for us to focus on, is to, to learn from, from this point. Number one in your notes is this. What is the stewardship of God's grace that was given to you for others, for God and for others? What stewardship of God's grace was given specifically to you so that you could serve God and serve others with. Just like Paul, remember, he's got the stewardship of God's grace, this very specific uh, mission from Jesus, and he's been equipped with very specific spiritual gifts to, to do that mission with. Um, what mission has Jesus given you specifically? What spiritual gifts has Jesus given you to manage and steward well for the glory of God? To try to make this 
come home a little bit more, I want to begin with a secular example. And one of the, the greatest Canadian heroes of all time is a man by the name of Terry Fox. You might know Terry Fox or know of him. Uh, Terry Fox was a guy that was very athletic, uh, good at sports, good at marathon running uh, before the cancer. He could run well and he could run for long distances. And then tragically, as you know, as a very young man, he uh, was stricken with cancer. And because of the cancer, his leg had to be removed. And the hope was if you get rid of the leg, you get rid of the cancer, and then we can stop it right there. Um, and so the fact that cancer struck him and took his leg with away from him, that then inspired him. It kind of woke him up. It inspired him to, you know what, I'm going to run across Canada, and I'm going to run across Canada to raise money for cancer research. Well, you may know the rest of the story. Terry never actually completed the, the Marathon of Hope. He never got across Canada. Why? Because the cancer took him before he could finish the run. But in hindsight, looking at the man's his athletic ability, he could run. Uh, looking at how many millions. So they estimate he has now raised uh, something like uh, three-quarter of a billion dollars, $750 million for cancer research. Okay, And then think of all the good the, the, I don't know how many people have benefited from that cancer research. It's amazing the, 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 the inroads they're making with cancer research. So many people have been, have been helped because of this man raising money. And it's just amazing to see his specific set of talents and a specific mission that he had to then help so many other people be rescued from cancer. You see the connection I'm trying to make? We are all on a rescue mission. God has given us a specific mission with specific gifts to help other people reach and meet Jesus. I want to connect this more to the mission of Jesus here that the Apostle Paul gave his life to. I mean, Paul died for the mission of Jesus. That's really what it comes down to. I've talked about this guy. I basically, I seem to talk about Hudson Taylor about two, three times a year. And uh, so this is a bit of a rehash, but I really love this man. And he really inspired me to pursue church ministry as a young man myself. Hudson Taylor, and there's a lot of hair there, but that was a big thing back then. It's actually kind of come back a little bit uh, in modern times, but it's, I don't want to talk about the hair. It's not about the hair. It's about this man's mission and what he did. Uh, if you read uh, his, his biography, which I encourage you to do, uh, you will discover that he, was, he lived in and around the mid to late 1800s, and in the mid to late 1800s, he received from the Lord this, this heavy burden to reach the hundreds of millions of Chinese people who lived in inland China that he strongly believed, and he was right, they were headed for hell without Christ. And his heart just burned with compassion and love to reach them with the gospel. And if you look at his life story, you will discover that his life story is filled with all kinds of pain and all kinds of hard, hardness, hard times. I mean, it's just, it's just grueling to read. I mean, the man lost two wives to, to illness. He lost something like a half a dozen kids to illness. And he himself nearly died countless times. It's amazing. But you see, God had a plan for Hudson Taylor. Why did God call Hudson Taylor specifically to try to reach inland China with the gospel? It's because almost no one else was going into inland China at that time. No Christians were. They just stuck, stuck to the coast there. It was much more difficult to go into inland China. Very difficult. Almost no one else was. So he was the guy that Jesus wanted to go inland. Further, 
What was Hudson Taylor's skill set and trade set? Well, he was a medical doctor trained in Britain. Okay? And aside from preaching the gospel, what was most needed in inland China? It was modern medicine. Modern medicine and gravely, deeply needed. Well, he was the guy. Additionally, who had the, the ideal body type for life and to endure life in inland China? Well, Taylor, you know, he was just a little guy. And he was built to last. You know, sometimes the big guys aren't built to last, you know. He's just a little guy. Just, you know, yay high. Perfect. And now, if you look at today, there is, you may not be aware that in our generation today, there's been going on a spiritual revival in China. Did you know that today there are more evangelical Christians in China than there are in America? More evangelical Christians in China today than there are in the United States of America, which we often see as a, a Christian nation. Now, if you look at how did that happen? How did this happen? Well, you trace back the roots to the work that that man did way back in the 1800s, and it goes back to this guy. God used him to bring about the spiritual revival that is in place to this day. Even during that man's lifetime, he died in the early 1900s, he and the people that he trained through the China Inland Mission, they saw something like 25,000 converts. 25,000 converts. Now today, there are more evangelical Christians in China than there is in the United States. We are talking about tens of millions of Christians thanks to the revival beginning with Jesus commissioning this man at a young age, placing a burden of love and compassion on his heart to reach people with the gospel. My question to you is simply, maybe you're the next Hudson Taylor. Yes, your ministry may not be as far-reaching or dramatic. Uh, you may not be the next Billy Graham where you're seeing you know, literally millions and millions of people come to Jesus. There's not many Hudson Taylors. There's not many Billy Grahams. But you might be. But my point is, the size and the scope of whatever specific mission and ministry that Jesus has for you, it doesn't matter the size. It doesn't matter. It can be simply as taking it upon yourself to serve in Mercy Hill Kids on a regular basis because you see we've got to invest in the next generation and share the gospel with them and train them up in the ways of Jesus because that might be the next Billy Graham down the hall. We're involved in the worship team like this because just week in, maybe we serve twice a month, three times a month, whatever it is, because we see how important just worshiping God is. You have musical gifts and talents and abilities that obviously Christ has given you to serve Him and serve the church family with. Maybe that's your ministry. Or maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to take it upon myself to boldly share the gospel in my workplace because who else is going to share the gospel with them than me? That's why I'm there. Or maybe you're going to take it upon yourself. You're good with hospitality. You, your house is basically, you actually like people to come over to your house. There's maybe not many of us, you out there. This is not me, by the way. But there's a few of you out there. You actually like people, eh? And you like to have them at your house. Well, why are you wired that way? It's, it's Jesus commissioning you like he commissioned him to use your home, to, to just get to know your neighbors. You're not whacking them upside the head with a Bible or a tract. You're just there trying to love them, trying to be normal. And eventually, through the course of a friendship, your faith will come out in some way. And then you share. And then it might take five years after that before they even come to a church. But that's what I'm talking about. You see, I'm not talking about these glamorous, huge ministries. 
just little by little. We do this collectively as a church family. What gifts, what spiritual talents has Christ given you? What specific mission and place of ministry has He given you? I just, just do that. Just do that. Talk to people. You may not know what it is. Talk to your family. If you're married, talk to your spouse. Talk to your friends. Talk to, to your church leadership. We will help whatever, in whatever way we can direct you to whatever your gift set might be and whatever specific mission it might be. That's all I got on that point. Let's move on. Actually, let me finish the point. By one, I want to read to you, sorry to Muriel, who's trying to follow along here with the, the notes, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 7, and I'm just going to leave the point with this. I'm not going to even going to explain anything. Hear what God says to you. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Here it is, to each, to each, to each, to each, to each, to each Christian is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let's move on and look at verses 7 to 10. Paul says that uh, he was made a servant, he was made a minister of the gospel. Okay, a minister is a servant, a servant is a minister. And he was recruited, empowered by Jesus on the Damascus Road. You read, uh, I believe it's Acts chapter 9. He was kind of knocked off his horse by Jesus. Okay, Jesus appears to Paul in that moment. Paul was a religious terrorist before that, killing Christians, amazingly. This is the guy that Jesus wants to suffer now, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Okay, and he's like, Paul, you're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles around the world. That's your job. That's your mission now. Interestingly, Paul calls himself, back to the text, the very least of all the saints. The very least, like he's rock bottom, bottom Christian, worst of the worst, he says elsewhere. He's the very least of all the saints. So the question is, here's Paul, otherwise known as, outside of Jesus, the greatest Christian in church history. Okay, that's how Paul is seen by Bible scholars. The greatest Christian. Here he is saying, I'm the very least. Now, is this a guy who's all about himself? Is this a guy who's all puffed up and high and mighty? You know, just... Look at me, look at all I'm doing for God. No, he sees himself as the very least of all the saints. And so should I, so should you. So should we walk in that kind of humility. If we're ever bragging about ourselves or about our ministry, I mean, what are we doing? Least, least, least. Now, look at verses 8 to 10. Paul beautifully explains the whole purpose of the church here. This is big, this is a big deal. The whole pur purpose of the the universal church okay, around the world and also the local church, local expression like us. And he says the purpose is the unsearchable riches of Christ are to be preached in the church. Why? Why would we come here and teach about the unsearchable riches that are found in, through faith in Christ? Why? Paul says to bring to light to everyone, to show off to everyone, including the spiritual realm, the, the angels, the demons, all the, the spirits who are already in the spiritual realm, to show off to, to everyone God's wise plan for humanity, His rescue plan, His very wise rescue plan for humanity, which is what? God's very wise rescue plan for humanity is simply uh, the gospel. It's the, go the good news about Jesus. Where anyone, Jew, Gentile, no matter what race you are from, Everyone is invited to become part of God's family, to become his child, beloved child. Everyone is invited to join the family of God. 
by simply trusting that Jesus lived their perfect life for them, died their for died for them on the cross for their sins, and he rose again. That's the gospel. That's the invitation. That's the simplicity of it. And that leads us to, to point number two in your notes if you're following along. Mercy Hill's mission is to display God's light, his wisdom, his unsearchable riches that are found in Christ. To illustrate, let me share a bit of a story. Uh, you know, Tammy and I, believe it or not, we've been married for, I think, 20 years now. What year is it? Uh, over 20 years. And uh, it's great about 2020. You can just, oh, yeah, bam, I'm, I'm there. I'm not good with math, clearly. But it's been over 20 years. And uh, we were actually still dating. So you've been married so long, it's, it's, you know, you forget. Oh, yeah, we were dating. And we were dating. And during the time of our dating, we were engaged. And at the time of being finally engaged, we, we were so thrilled, so excited to share with others that, that we were engaged and that we wanted to spend our lives, the rest of our lives together. And essentially, we both couldn't wait to introduce the other to our, to our families and our, and our friends and, and to those that we were closest to. We wanted to show off the other, you see, wanted to show off the other. I think I wanted to show off Tammy more than Tammy wanted to show me off, but anyhow, I understand that. I mean, I, I married up, clearly. But essentially, I wanted to convey to, to my family and to my friends, basically, look how beautiful she is. Look how kind and caring she is. Look how charismatic she is. Look how talented she is. I want you guys to, to know how lucky I am to, to have Tammy in my life and to build my life with and start a family with. Like, I'm a lucky guy. And I wanted to tell everyone I knew about this special person that I'd fallen in love with and I'm still in love with. And Tammy, maybe not to that degree, but kind of did the same thing with me. <laughs> but you see where I'm going? In a sense, this is kind of what we are doing with King Jesus as a church family. Here he is. Our job is to show him off to those in and around us. Show him off to the lost hurt and dark world in which we live. There's a lot of bad stuff in the world today. Bad stuff in our own lives today. Like, we've got to show him off, man. And Because he shines bright in comparison to all the bad stuff that's going on. He shines very bright. And we are to display Jesus, God's light, his wisdom, his spiritual wealth, and all the, the spiritual riches that are found in this person named Jesus. And, and anyone can get in on this. Like, it's not limited to, to just a certain few. Anyone can get in on this relationship with Jesus. And here's what this may sound like. As we're in our workplaces, we're in our neighborhoods, we're in our schools, we're in a restaurant, we're doing coldest night of the year, whatever it is, and it may sound like, look how beautiful Jesus is. Look, I'm so lucky. I'm I'm lucky. Look how beautiful he is. Look how gracious and loving God's rescue plan is that anyone can get on, in on this. No one has changed me more than Jesus. No one has, has given me a better future and a hope and inheritance that no dollar figure can be attributed to. Like, no dollar figure on the inheritance that God has given us through Christ. So that's what I've got. But Christ hasn't just given me a new future, you know, heaven instead of hell. But he has rescued me from my sinful addictions, lust, anger, self-righteousness, and so on. 
And we might say, I'm so, I'm so fortunate, I'm so lucky to be with Jesus. I deserve none of this. But you know what, friend, neighbor, coworker, it's not, he's not just for me. It's not just me and Jesus. I'm saying you can get in on having this life, this family of God as well. He's for you as well. You can get in on this. God is, God is gathering an increasingly large number of people into his family, and this family is multi-ethnic. It's beautiful. And he is saving them by his grace, and he is saving them, collecting them, gathering them together. Why? In order to spend eternity with them in the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus in this moment is preparing, where we will spend forever with God, enjoying him, worshiping him, connecting with him in a perfect place where there's no more suffering. You can get in on this too. This is what we say to our co-workers, our family members, our neighbors, our friends. You can get in on this. Here it is. I'll never forget a few years ago. You may remember, uh, a few of you might remember Hal. Hal was about six foot eight, I think. <laughs> and uh, him and his wife were, were baptized a few years ago. They've since moved to the interior of BC. But... Um, Hal and his wife had no church background, no knowledge of Christianity or the gospel. And they were in a situation in their life, I think Hal was between jobs. And uh, so basically their, their world had kind of crashed in. And at that moment, they had received a flyer from the church. You know, we do, do flyers occasionally. And they saw the flyer. They thought, you know what? Maybe this church uh, will help give us direction, purpose in life, something. Like, we need help. Like, our lives are kind of crashing in. And we need help in, in something, some direction. So they came. And I love it when people with no background or any church background or history, they come and they just hear the biblical gospel and just the pure, the simplicity of it. And they immediately responded. They're just like, we can get in on this. It's that simple. We just trust in Christ, repent of our sins. We're baptized. That's it. Just open the empty hands of faith and receive Yes, it's that simple. And they came and they changed. I mean, there was no question of them being born again. Change occurred immediately. It was just radical. It was, it was a wonderful thing. And I'll never forget, Hal talked to me shortly after that. And he just, he, he just couldn't believe the, the beauty of the unsearchable riches of Christ that are available to any and all. And he's like, we need to get the word out about this to our, our world. Like, they don't know, man. They don't know. They, they don't know that, you know, they can come to God. They can't save themselves. It's not about living good enough for God and then he'll accept you. They don't know that Jesus did all the earning of their salvation on their behalf. You know, lived their perfect life, died their death on the cross for their sins in their place, and then rose again to defeat Satan's sin and death forevermore to give them a new future. They don't know this that Jesus has done all the earning to, to bring them to God. They just need to open the empty hands of faith. That they just need to say yes to receiving the unsearchable riches that are found in Christ alone. And if we could just get that word out. Kurt, if we could just get the word out, I'm sure hordes of people would come into the church. I'm sure many people would become Christians and they see the love of Christ through us. If we could just let our community know. Well, as a pastor, this is music to my ears. I'm saying, yeah, man, let's do this. Let's do this. You know, it's that simple. That we as a church, Mercy Hill Church, you know, here's what we have to remember. And this is what I forget. 
that we have in our graphs the most compelling message in the universe. That God's rescue plan for all people through Jesus is open and available to any and all. God, he, 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 he wants more people in His family. And He's saying, come. He's saying, come. And we take that message. I'm reminded of that passage in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, Jesus says, you know what you guys need to do? He says, you guys need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Why? To send out, that He will send out more laborers into the harvest field. Now, what does that imply? If there's a harvest field, the harvest is ripe. Okay, the harvest is ripe. Let's imagine an apple orchard. Some of you have been to one in the Okanagan. Imagine an apple orchard, and it's getting along in the season. What's happening is the apples are becoming so ripe, what are they doing? They're falling to the ground. Where are they what? They, they rot. They spoil. Okay? And this is what's happening. So Jesus is making the point then, and he's making the point today, that in our own community, in our own workplaces, in our own neighborhoods, is ripe fruit, are real people who are ready to receive the message of the gospel. And they're waiting for us to, to say something and to show them the love of Christ in action as well. And unless we respond, you see what's going to happen. It's not going to go well for them. That's what we have to understand. It will, they will spoil without the gospel. And who else but us, Mercy Hill Church, in this, the, the circle of relationships that we enjoy, who else but us to say, you can get in on this, what I have. Don't want you to spoil. Don't want you to spoil. Don't want you to spoil. All right. Let's finish off this passage and look at verses 11 to 13. Paul tells us that it was God's, it was always God's eternal purpose to display his rescue plan for the world through the church centered around Jesus and his gospel work, life, death, and resurrection and ascension. Then Paul says something that is interesting and beautiful. That did you notice this when you read this or when Ian read it? It's just so beautiful that it's in Jesus that we now enjoy bold and confident access to our Heavenly Father because we trust in Jesus. We now enjoy bold, not, not just fearful or, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should go in there. You know, we're, we're talking about bold and confident access to God the Father who is the, the creator of the universe. And I, I want to ask you the question. I mean, do you believe this stuff? Do you believe that you enjoy that kind of access right now in this moment if you're a Christian? Do you believe it's true? Do we act like it's true? I don't. I don't think I do. No. All right. Bold and confident access to God the Father through Jesus. But we do. We do. We do. Are we confident when we pray to God? Are we bold when we pray to the Father? You may have seen that video of, I think he's, a, he's an expert on North Korea, I believe. Remember this guy? He was being interviewed by CNN, I believe, at the time. And he works at home, obviously. And it was just, it went viral. You remember this video? I don't know the name of this guy. But what happened was, initially, his daughter uh, just came into the office. And she was doing a dance back and forth. And, 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 and the other kids came in as well. And he's trying to have this interview with CNN, whoever it was. But it was beautiful. It was wonderful. You know why it was beautiful and wonderful? It's because those kids came in boldly and they came in confidently because why? They were used to coming in that way. 
I mean, Daddy's not normally on CNN, okay? All right, they're used to finding Daddy probably saying, hey, in the middle, of, he's right in the middle of stuff. But no, they come in boldly and confidently. They plow in, they don't care, and they go straight to Dad because Dad's going to take them up into his arms, into his arms, and he's going to, to, to connect with them. He's going to talk with them. He's going to probably hug them and, and, and just enjoy them in that moment. That's what they were used to. And in the same way, is this our approach to our Heavenly Father. We just bolt in. And He's always got time for us. He's always got time for us. Paul reminds us of this beautiful reality that we enjoy this, but do we take God up on this? Do we live in this? Okay, but then he, okay, let me finish this point. Okay, bear with me. Then, so he's saying, this is what we enjoy as Christians. Then he says, don't lose heart, okay, over what he is currently going through. Remember Paul's in jail, house arrest? He says, don't lose heart. We have bold, confident access to God the Father through Jesus, but don't lose heart because of what I'm going through. Remember, he's under house arrest. Here's what he's saying. Here's the point. The suffering that you face in life cannot and will not take away or stand in the way of the bold and confident access to God the Father that you already enjoy. You see the connection? No matter what you're going through, it can't get in the way of you having this bold and confident access to God the Father to help you. So don't lose heart. That's the message. Paul's not losing heart. He's in jail. He's not losing heart. Why? Because he's got bold and confident access to God the Father through Jesus. That's God saying, pay attention and wake up, will you? I'm just bugging whoever that is. Number three is simply, in Jesus we have boldness and confident access to God despite our suffering, therefore don't lose heart. Over the last uh, six or seven weeks, uh, many of you asked today, <laughs> sorry Jerry, I put you on the spot like that. He's, he's got to take calls when they come in, so I get it. Um, you've asked about our daughter, uh, Victoria, and uh, she's been unwell for six or seven weeks. And it's a little bit unusual, actually quite unusual. She's missed about that much uh, time in school, uh, which is usually a student's dream. Like, yeah, I get to miss, you know, six, seven weeks of school. But no, she, it's not, she's not happy about it. And she's unwell. So it, it's this mysterious illness. And I don't want you to think it's a certain virus that's going around globally. It's not that. She's been tested for, I mean, you wouldn't believe the test that she's been going through. 30 different virus checks and uh, blood, like she's so much blood has been extracted from this poor girl with blood tests um, and MRIs and all the rest. So, I mean, we've gone to the nth degree um, and we may have a breakthrough, but we're not sure. But anyhow, the bottom line is doctors have no idea what in the world's going on. Uh, she has missed all this time from school. She's suffering. And when kids suffer, who else suffers? Moms. Dads, yes, but moms a lot because I don't know why. We should, I should be suffering. I am. I don't like it. But anyhow, mom's suffering as well. Here's what I've noticed, though, about my daughter. Uh, she hasn't lost heart. She hasn't got into the, or sunk into this deep depression and become like horribly discouraged. And it's almost like, here's what I think, and I'm probably giving mom and dad too much credit here, especially Tammy, but I think she hasn't lost heart. It's because she's realized mom and dad aren't going anywhere here. We're not going to leave her on her own to, to face this issue. Um, you know, she's been reminded, you know what, mom and dad are actually not as bad as I thought they were, you know. Uh, they actually care for me. They're actually here for me no matter what. And so we've actually gotten closer. You know, that's the irony. We've gotten closer to, to our daughter through this. And I know many in this room are, you're suffering, we're all, we're suffering in various ways. 
physically, uh, mentally. Uh, we're suffering in our marriage. We're suffering financially because everything's going up in price. And uh, we're just suffering in a myriad of ways. There's a lot of suffering in this room, and it's brutal. And I don't want to minimize that. But the thing is, Mercy Hill Church, do you hear the, the message? Do you hear what Paul's saying to us? Do you hear what God's saying to us? Don't lose heart, no matter what. Don't lose heart because we enjoy in this moment, in the middle of our suffering, this bold, confident access to our Heavenly Father who, like those kids busting into the room like that, will allow us to bust into His room at any time and to come up into His lap and, and receive that hug, receive that care, receive that wisdom, receive all the spiritual benefits He gives us in Christ. He is our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Daddy. He is there for us in the midst of our suffering. Did you know that God actually cares about your problems? He actually cares about your problems. He actually cares about you to the extent that he knows how many hairs are on your head. Some of you have more hairs on your head than others. But he still knows. That shows that he cares. Okay? So if he cares for you, and if we enjoy this access, here's what we got to do. God cares for you, so cast your cares on him. Cast your anxieties on Him. He is more than able and capable to, to bear your anxieties. And we can just, just pile them on to, to God and, and let Him manage that. Let Him care for your cares. That's, that's the kind of God we have. Let's, uh, let's pray together. That's all I got. <clears throat> Lord, thank You for being a God who cares. There's a lot of times when I... I forget this most basic truth that you are for me and not against me in Christ. Help us to, 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 to know this truth, to live this truth deep down that because of Jesus, because of our faith and trust in him, that we can go into your office at any time boldly and confidently to speak with you, to cast our cares upon you, Cast our anxieties upon you because you actually want to hear what those cares and anxieties are and you desire to act upon them in the ways that you will. Thank you, Lord, for not giving up on us. Thank you for that we can get in on your wise rescue plan for humanity, that we actually have worth to you, that you actually love and care for us despite all of our rebelliousness and, and our sinful ways and our, our, our addictions that we once gave ourselves to or maybe find ourselves in even today. You still care for us. Thank you for that hope that you've given us. Lord, would you mobilize us as a church family to, to just tell our world and tell the people that we care about in our relationship circles that they can get in on this too. So empower us towards that end. Lord, we would have nothing without the gospel. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for living our life, dying our death, and rising again. And pray that this time of the Lord's Supper is a time of celebration, that it's a time of memorial and remembering all that you've done for us but it's also a time of examining ourselves and confessing our sins to you. And I pray that we would do that in this moment. Through Christ we pray. Amen. So now we're going to a uh, time of response to God's word. We're going to...